Please stand for the reading of God's word from Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the earth, or cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Again, good morning. It's good to be with you all. My name is Troy Albee, and I'm going to open up God's Word. The text this morning is Isaiah 11, and you can find it in the Pew Bible on page 575, uh, which was obviously just read, but we're going to be referencing it, so please do have it open. Uh, I'm from the South Shore. I'm also from the South, and you'll, you'll figure that out if you didn't two weeks ago when I was preaching. Uh, but I'm a pastor of Grace Presbyterian Church, and we meet down in Hanover. Uh, and what's, what's important to that for you all is that if you're ever, of course, down in the area, uh, we would love to have you come worship with us. Pastor uh, Travis is down preaching for, for me uh, in Hanover. But uh, what's really crucial is for you to know is that uh, we're appreciative because we are a part of the, the, what was the Christ the King Church Planting Network. We are a daughter congregation of this church for which we are very grateful uh, for your investment and support uh, over many years. And, uh, and so there are folks worshiping down there. And uh, before we get started, uh, I was here two weeks ago preaching and I'm glad to be back. But uh, I'm going to ask for God's help because I, I don't know if you need it, but I do. So please join me in prayer. Father, we do look to you. We look to you with, uh, with need and we know that you are generous. So we pray that you would give us clarity and faith. I, I pray that you would be in, in my thinking and in my speaking and in our hearing all of us, we would be responding in a way that brings praise and honor and glory uh, to you, God, and builds up people made in your image. We ask your blessing on this time in Jesus' strong, sufficient name. Amen. In the season of Advent, we are talking, we're reflecting, we're celebrating the coming of Christ into the world, the broken world, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, hopefully, we're also celebrating and, and looking with, by faith, in anticipation to the second coming of Christ. And even Advent, that very word means coming, which hopefully means Christ is coming also into uh, our lives, into our hearts, and our affections, our priorities, that, that even when we encounter the love of Jesus, that, 
and in the person and work of Jesus that we ourselves are actually transformed. Really, it's all about a promise and a person. Uh, there's a promise that's been fulfilled in part and a promise that's not yet been fulfilled, but it, it does all surround the person and work uh, of Jesus. But as I reflected two weeks ago, and I think that Pastor uh, Travis has touched upon as well from Isaiah, uh, that we know that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, that's stating the. I, I do this exercise from time to time, and uh, and and just to you know, I'm not a big news person. I don't, I don't know about you, but if you go and you read the headlines, just in a snapshot. So I did it this morning in an in an objective way, uh, which which for me, I, I just randomly chose ABC News. I don't know what your outlet is. I just randomly chose ABC News, and I just took the headlines. Are you ready? In case you, you in case you missed any of these things, here's what's the, here's what's going on. A fuel tanker blast killed 19 people in Afghanistan. A celebrity mountain lion was euthanized. Uh, In North Korea, there's uh, launching of ballistic uh, missiles. Uh, The UK is sending 1,200 troops as ambulance crews strike. Uh, Three escaped chimpanzees were recaptured in Sweden, and four were shot. Uh, Key Ukrainian city is rapidly falling. Uh, Woman dies uh, after London concert crowd crushed her. In Memphis, there was a shooting, and there are five people in critical condition. Uh, A California man is avoiding prison after a 2021 attack on a tortoise. Uh, A boy was found buried under a house, and now a mother and a man are arrested. Maybe maybe there's something going on in your life. In our own congregation, there's a family who's been fostering a child for three years, and tomorrow the child is going back. They hope to adopt her, but she's going back a family where there's deceit and abuse. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. You can see why people get online and they actually look up, you know, on TikTok, you know, kitty cat videos and uh, check out YouTube things just to fill up their time. We're here because we believe God's word has hope and that's what we're going to find. And if you heard red and you were dialed in, there is a glorious vision of a coming Messiah who brings things. But we're still in a place where we, every person to a person says the world's not the way it's supposed to. I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. Even when things are going well, we, we have a longing in the light. And when things are not going well, we have a pretty, at times, it's, it's an anguish in the darkness. I, I remember a season of my life, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s now, but I remember a season of life that if someone called me at 2 a.m., hey, it might just be one of my drunk friends telling me that he loves me or something. And it might, you know, but, or it might be someone saying, hey, let's go to Krispy Kreme Donuts. Okay, great, okay. I'm in a stage of life, and I don't know about you, but if I get a phone call at 2 a.m., it's not good news. Another illustration, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Even when things in life and the events and circumstances are marked with happiness and harmony and, and joy and the things that we long for, even that, at Christmas time, when we have all this nostalgia, maybe, or we have a lot of sweet, it, when you look around and you say, people are getting along, and, and, and friends are generous, and there's feasting, and there's, there's things to do and celebrate, but even that, the decorations have to be put away, and we're reminded that things aren't the way, why can't we have Christmas all year long? Well, that's one of the reasons that we're going to sing here. Uh, as a part of the close, come thou long expected Jesus, because we're looking forward to a day 
when that will be true. Even this prophetic word from Isaiah in chapter 11 that we heard read is something 700 years prior to Christ entering into Jesus, entering into space and time as our Savior. There are many mysteries in this passage, but there's a a pretty pronounced reason for for hope. I I grew up in the mountains of western North Carolina. Uh, The Blue Ridge Parkway winds its way through. It's a beautiful place. I'm I'm obviously biased. Uh, There's a a place on the Blue Ridge Parkway up past Mount Pisgah. It's called Graveyard Fields. And I used to love going there as a young man. And uh, and there at the beginning of the entrance, as you head down into this, it's 5,000 feet up and there's this valley in the middle of the mountains. And, and there's this, this wide open space. And they're all, well, back when I was a kid, 20 plus years ago, I remember being, you know, there and there were, they, they call it Graveyard Fields because it looks like from the storms that have come through. And then another season, there was a fire that made its way through uh, in the forest. And there are these stumps that were left over that had, you know, moss growing on it and it looked almost like you know the tombstones marked in a giant field now there's so much undergrowth and there's actually a revitalization of that that space that it there there's blueberry bushes and underbrush that is is beautiful and there's there's a there's a stream that runs through it doesn't quite look like graveyard fields of 20 30 40 years ago I highlight that to say that we see here the biblical writer, you know, not just with Isaiah, he's certainly one of them, but others, they use on a regular basis the imagery of trees. I always say if you're an arborist, we actually have one in our congregation, uh, or you're a shepherd, we don't have one of those in our, in our congregation, I don't guess you do either, um, you kind of have a leg up in understanding some of the, the cultural context of the Bible and some of the, the, the metaphors and the imagery that's used. And, and that's what's here. There are these trees that uh, are for us. The people of God, Israel, have darkness, a darkness that has descended. And that darkness is, is really you know, brought on by, by them because they've rebelled against uh, the Lord God, Yahweh, of, 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 of Israel, their king. And so they have, they've rebelled, and as a loving Heavenly Father, he has brought discipline. I'm sure that Pastor uh, Travis has highlighted some of what was going on. There were the pagan Assyrians, they were the instrument by which God would bring them into even exile. And the Assyrians are the ones who, in this imagery of a tree, have come and cut it down, the people of God, to a stump. And so it's, um, Siri sometimes talks to me in the middle of the sermon, I apologize. There is this imagery of a stump, and that's not an appealing image, as you can imagine. It means death. And then there's even this language at the close of chapter 10 that talks about the Assyrians themselves being cut down because they, in their arrogance and their pride, they took it too, uh, they took it too far, and uh, God didn't approve of that uh, as well. And in the wake of destruction in the chapter just previous to this, in Isaiah, it's recorded that the remnant of the trees of the forest will be so few that a child could write them down. And in the verse just prior to chapter 11 here, chapter uh, 10, verse 34, it says that he, God that is, will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. But then there's this, there's this hope because a Messiah, a promised 
a king comes and he rules and he restores. Really, that's my two points this morning in these, uh, these 10 verses. The opening five verses talk about a king who's going to rule with righteousness. And then the second is one where we see this imagery of a restoration, of restoring with, with glory, right? There's, there's images. I read the news headlines early, earlier. It didn't sound like the lion was laying down with the lamb or the bear and the cow. It wasn't like a little child was playing with a cobra. This past week, there's strife in the world. That's been the case for as long as we know. It has been this way. We need a king who can both rule and restore. So these first five verses, nothing appealing about a stump, but it's, it's important that this stump of Jesse, if you recall who Jesse is, he is uh, the one who's the father of King David. David was the unlikely of the sons that they came and Samuel uh, came and and tried to find, you know, who it was that God had appointed to be king and said, where are your sons? And they said, well, they're, they're, they're all here. And he says, no, there has to be someone else because none of them are, it's not the one. And, and the spirit of God came and, and directed him and then the spirit of God fell upon King David. And so David is from that line of, of Jesse, his father. That's why even this month, you know, we have already heard read or we will uh, at Christmas Eve, we'll hear in the lessons and carols, here's this word of 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 a lineage from Matthew or from Luke, both of them record it. There is, uh, there is the mention of, of David and, and Jesse. Generations and generations prior, that's not insignificant or random. That is very significant because it was told to us in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that there would be this line. There would be this, this group, a descendant that would come as a Messiah from King David's line, from Jesse, coming down that would be a, a great hope for God's people, Israel. We'll sing it here in a second. I'll go ahead and read it to you. Joy, this is from Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We'll have our voices united in a moment. Joy to those who long to see thee, day spring from on high appear. Come thou promised rod of Jesse, of thy birth we long to hear. Now, what are the qualities and the characteristics of this? I mean, is this, is this really Jesus that we are reading about? It's 700 years prior, the, the prophet Isaiah in this prophetic voice and this imagery and this poetry, here we see this ruler. What are some of his qualities? Well, again, nothing appealing about a stump, but out of that stump, if just one shoot were to come and, and then grow and then and then have a canopy and, and, and a protection and, and shade for the people. There's this great towering giant canopy over a forest. What are the qualities? That's verse 1. Verse 2 of our text, it says that the spirit will rest upon him. What is that spirit like but one of wisdom and understanding? First of all, he, he knows problems and he knows how to remedy and fix things. And then he peers right into our hearts and shows an empathy and a care that that really no other human can because of the spirit of God. The spirit of counsel and might, it's mentioned here, that's usually referring to a military uh, term. But we're talking about a great capacity that this future king holds and has. He's not only making a plan and he's not only willing, but he's actually going to fulfill. We say this, right? A promise is only as good as... This can be participatory. A promise is only good as the person who is making it, the maker of the promise. You can have good intentions, you can have grand and lofty plans, but you sometimes can't deliver on them. That is not the case with this promised king in view here. 
He has might. He is the the God-man. The other thing that rests upon him is the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He lives in light of God's truth and God's law with all reverence and holiness. I know we talk about Jesus dying for our sins. Don't miss the fact that he also lives for our sin perfectly, always, consistently. The divine spirit was with him. He was anointed. Is this really Jesus of Nazareth? This is a scene. Well, there actually is a scene. Sometimes you probably think that pastors make too much of Jesus or always are looking for Jesus, even when we're way back 700 years into the prophetic literature of the Old Testament. But it's Jesus himself who makes much of this. In fact, there's a scene in the gospel according to Luke in chapter 4, where Jesus steps into the local synagogue. And lo and behold, the reading that day, which the custom, of course, in the rabbinical tradition was that you would take the scroll and uh, whoever was called upon or volunteered to read this, the scroll, they would, uh, they would, they would uh, stand up, unroll the scroll, read what the passage was, then they would roll it back up and they would sit down. And the sitting down portion was the beginning of the teaching unlike where I just you know, got up here to stand. So just imagine the scene. And what is Jesus reading? Well, he's reading that day, Isaiah chapter 11. It's recorded in Luke. He rolls up the scrolls. He sits down. And if this is not the ultimate mic drop moment of all, I I don't know what else could be in the Gospels. But Jesus says, after reading this very passage in Isaiah 11, he rolls up the scrolls. He sits down. And he says, today, in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. Okay, sorry to pick on students, but it's not all about you. Uh, there's seasons of life when you're tempted to think it's, it's all about me. Jesus is saying, it's all about me. And it's legit. I mean, this is one of those moments where he is fulfilling this. He is the God man. What else does it say? Verse 3, he's anointed for a purpose that is to judge not by what he sees. That's a little bit peculiar. It's almost like you get the indication that he has another sense. He has a, a deeper level of perception. He has almost like a sense of smell. I talked about that two weeks ago, right? What's the smell? The smell that people who have a minivan and small children don't smell, it's the minivan smell, right? But your family comes in town, right? Your aunts and uncles and your, your, the grandparents come in town and they step into your minivan, they're like, dude, what's that smell? Well, I don't smell it because my olfactory is completely saturated with it, but somebody's got some sneakers or something back there that are pretty rank. Here, he has this perception. He knows when things are not right. He doesn't even need eyes to see it. We know Lady Justice. You maybe have seen the statue, right? Who is she? She's this personification, this allegorical personification of the moral force of our judicial system. Maybe some of you are law students. Lady Justice, she's holding what? In one hand, she is holding scales, and across her face is what? Thank you, a blindfold. As if if to communicate, to convey to us that irrespective of your status or your power or your money or your background, this will be judged with equity. 
I'm not going to be a respecter of persons in that regard. I'm going to judge not on wealth or status or anything else. The Messiah, this king, reigns with righteousness and faithfulness. He has the ability and moreover the authority to judge. He can simply smell, sense, discern, perceive all of our thoughts and affections and motivations. He can sense and perceive right down to our real priorities. Some may say, well, I don't like all this talk about judgment. Well, then I would remind you as well, in one hand are the scales. Lady Justice, that allegorical personification, also has something else in her hand, and that is a sword. Now, you may say, well, I don't know that I like that talk. And yet, if you have been a person who has been abused, you you do like the thought of justice, and rightly so. And when you think about people who have been cheated and stolen from, it, it shouldn't bother us, it should comfort us that there will and there is justice coming, if not in this world, indeed in the next. This promised king has the authority to do all of that, and not for his own interest, and not for his own fame, and not just for some vindictive sense, but for supreme righteousness. He and only he can fulfill the hope of, Israel, of Israel's vision, it's Isaiah's words, to proclaim good news to the poor. Well, that was, that was pretty much, that was indeed everyone within Israel because at this time they're all exiled. This isn't just about some type of, of economic neediness that some people have. They're all poor in exile. But those who actually understand, perceive, and discern themselves to be needy, to need God, to need a relationship with God that they're not functioning. None of us are. If you are, you are living under an illusion that God is in control. We are dependent upon him. This is the very reason that Jesus says in, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They know that there is a righteous judge, and they know that they are not righteous in and of themselves. So that's part of how he's ruling. That's the opening five verses of Isaiah 11. But the other part of the vision that begins in verse 6 is also a restoration, a restoring to glory. Some of you know quite well in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's the curse that falls. Uh, Narnia is, has been under this curse all the time. It's, it's always winter and it's never. This can be participatory. Um, it's always winter and it's never Christmas in Narnia. Until, and that's because of the evil, we know the queen there, but because of the, the good king, because of the lion who's coming, that is beginning to thaw. It changes. This vision is the exact reverse of that dynamic. It's always Christmas and it's never winter. Does it sound too good to be true? It does sound bizarre to read a passage like Isaiah 11, 6 through 10, and say, what's up with little children playing with snakes and there are no threat? There are people getting along, people who are considered only and always enemies of each other, birds of prey and prey, right? Like, why is this, why is this picture of harmony and peace that's so comprehensive, it even involves the very creatures in a world. This is lions with calves 
toddlers playing over a, a cobra's den. You, you, you see, Jesus is reigning and bringing into to view a rest from all forms of conflict, any form of, of threat. You could even add to that list. There's no more threat of any pandemic or virus or disease or cancer. It's a glorious vision. The analogy that I sometimes have heard put, there's a king that they were hoping would come, but then there's a greater king in the, on the horizon. That there is actually the analogy that we have in, uh, we, we've, I had in Old Testament uh, class is of a mountain range where there are, there are, it looks as almost if there's this one great mountain, but in between all of that, there are buildings successive on that range. And sometimes I'll use the example with young people. I'll, I'll reach in my pocket and I'll, pour, I'll pull out two quarters. I forgot to put two quarters in. Um, two quarters. But if you hold them right next to each other and right in front of you, you only see one. And so there's something that is in view, but there's something even greater, further yet to be fulfilled. So there is a longing for Messiah, but there's longing for the ultimate Messiah that is part of a great culmination that is not just for the prophets. It, they thought it was all one event for many of them, but we're living in between. So if, you take the, if you're looking at the quarters straight on, it's one thing, but if you're looking at them from the side, it, it's two. And, and, and so what is it? It's this glorious vision that we have to see in hindsight and in future. We're living in the already not yet in between of this fulfillment. Someday there is a new heavens and a new earth. Yes, Christ has come. No, there are not lions and lambs working in peace and harmony. That is to come, not yet. The curse brought enmity. Most pronounced, of course, is the, in the garden. We see there's in the, in the garden of Eden, our parents, Adam and Eve, they experienced this after sin. Building up to that, a part of the, the, the curse is that there would be a serpent, a manifestation there, there of Satan, this, this father of lies, and to the woman, there is this promise that someday from her seed, one of her descendants would crush the head of that serpent. It's to defang the serpent, so to speak, if you were to take this vision here in our text. Things are made right. There is shalom. There is peace. That's one of the reasons that if you look at verse 9, the glory of this vision is such that there won't be any destruction there won't be any hurt, verse 9. And in fact, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. It's one of the reasons that we, we would sing and we would acknowledge in joy to the world that he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Things are made right. It's a glorious resting place. Look again at the text in verse 10. That root of Jesse, that, that, that shoot from the stump, because of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. What is glory? The weight of it, the reality of which we don't have words to describe entirely, 
to understand until we're there. But glory and the new heavens and the new earth, the fulfillment of a promise this grand, this profound, is not simply the absence of conflict, which is what we see here, in part. It's not just the presence, okay, not just the absence of conflict, it's not just the presence of feasting and joy, and that it is too. But it's actually more than that, it's glory because it's communion with God. And not only that, but to think about it even in, in a way that is, is, is broader and greater than even our wants. You could say as, as, as people who read those headlines or people who experience the, the weight of some of the grief of this season, it's, it's great to think about that being reversed. It's great to think about God, but it's, it's even greater to think that this actually includes the nations, right? A couple weeks ago, I read from uh, Cornelius Plantiga's book about sin, and in it, he talks about this longing. He says, it's natural and it's healthy to hope for ourselves, but it's provincial and unhealthy to hope only for ourselves. Egocentric persons curve in on themselves with only their interests at hearts and only their future in view, and they eventually harden themselves into a small snail-like shell. Friends, this vision is for you. It is for me. It is for Israel. It is for the people of God. But it's not just for you and for us. It's for the nations. It's the communion of, of, of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. What a glorious thought. Some of you think, well, I don't know that I need Jesus. I, I, I don't need spirituality. Jesus, it's not really, right now I just need a, a bit of, of peace and health, peace of mind. But what are you pursuing on the days when it is heavy, when it is dark, when there is disharmony? What are you pursuing? You know, Augustine, St. Augustine, talks about this in his confessions. And he says, you know, of all the things, right, of all the things that he pursued, and he had access to quite a few, relationships and intimacy and food and drink, he was very bright, Praise be to God. Because of the prayers of his own mother and the work of God the Spirit, in the confessions he concludes, O Lord, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Let me say it again. Very familiar quote. Maybe you already know it. O Lord, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. If this, if this sounds appealing, if this sounds wonderful, it's only a place of rest and refuge and glory for those who know the God-man and surrender to the king. So here, here's where I'm going to go in closing by way of application. 
First, I would encourage you to resist focusing on just yourself. Well, that's, that's like a, talk about gravity, right? I mean, I, I know that it is not hard for me to turn in on myself. But it's not just about us. The vision here, it's not that we would just celebrate that God has taken care of all of my small problems. It's that he's returning to make all things new for the nations and that worship of Christ would be so glorious. The second thing I would say in application is to ask yourself, maybe this is a point of conversation over lunch, ask yourself, if we can't have peace in the world, can I have peace with God? And do I have peace with God? Because to cling to Jesus by faith is to dwell under the canopy of a shoot whose branches and the, the imagery back to the tree, bringing what, what seemed to be just death and destruction for the people of God that were chopped off and because of the discipline of the, of the Father, but yet bringing out of that stump a glorious tree. Do you know him? To be like him, to be like this king is to fear God and not to fear people. We're told in Colossians 1, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, that is Christ, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So to have peace with God is to take refuge with this king and to realize it's not all about yourself and to ask yourself, if I can't have peace in the world, we don't seem to be having any measure of, of success in that at times, well, at least have peace with God. The third thing, the last thing I would say, by way of application, is to pray for this. This is a vision of a promise of a reality that's future that we would be actually invited to pray for to come into realization. Now you may say, well, I've, I've definitely never done that. And here's my other question then. Why not? How come? This is a picture of a new heavens and a new earth. This is a picture of a, of a promise fulfilled that everyone could and should long for, but why not? Why have we not prayed longing for heaven on earth? Maybe there's something that's obscuring your vision or mine. Speaking of a vision, Jesus, again, not reading me reading too much into this text as if it all has to be about Jesus, but Jesus speaking back to this reality of a promise fulfilled. This is where Jesus says, if you're looking for that, that stump with a shoot coming out of it, we're told so clearly in Revelation 22, it's no surprise Hear this, this is God's word, Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. The definitive article, the bright 
morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take of the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of the prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book, Jesus says. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. John closes. Amen. Earlier in that same chapter, John sees a city, the city of David, the city of Jerusalem, the city that is coming down, restored and new. It's so, it's so bizarre to think, even as you look out a window like this and you, you're glad the sun is shining on a gloomy, otherwise day, what would it be like when Jesus returns in, the, in Zion and the new Jerusalem, when it, it descends and there isn't any need for the sun because of the brilliance of the radiance of the glory of the brightness of Jesus is so grand that there is no need for a sun. Lord, come, make this real. Lord, we, we long to see this. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, ethne. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Pray with me. Father, would you guide us, each person here, me, myself, very much included, Lord, would you guide us to an honest and humble application? We want to be different because we were at the feet of Jesus in worship and adoration and in surrender. And I, I pray you administer to those who are having trouble. That whether unbelief or doubt or, or there's just something obstructing in their own anxieties and questions and grief, the ability to see, to long for this vision. In this relationship, we long for peace, Lord, and it seems someday so, so far off. We pray for the nations. We long to see your churches filled with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. And Lord, I do pray for our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church around the world this very day. Come back, Lord, please, quickly, for your glory and our good. Through Christ. Amen.